Welcome to Bethel Cleveland's Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information on this podcast or how to get connected, go to BethelCleveland.com. We've been going through um, uh, 1 Thessalonians, and it's been a real joy to go through it. We've taken about, I don't know, five weeks or so. And uh, there's five chapters there. We spent a couple weeks in chapter two. Um, I'm actually, this week I'm at the end of three, beginning of four. And uh, we're not going in any kind of order except that we're going through the first five, we're going through the book of Thessalonians, picking out things that ministered to us, Jay, myself, and others. By the way, in Akron, we're using some of our um, emerging preachers down in Akron on Sunday night. Austin, you're down in Akron tonight, right? Yes. All right. So are they gonna have the like, Super Bowl playing in the background while you're speaking just so, or yeah. you'll give updates on scores and things like that? Yeah, so Austin, he's over our young adults. He's gonna be preaching in Akron and we've got a, a list of people that are helping us over the next few months. Uh, to give them an opportunity, and it's kind of like our farm team down there. You know, we're gonna we're gonna see what they can do uh, while they're ministering down there, and uh, and then see what God's gonna do with them in the future. We want to raise up a team of people to preach and teach and help us, knowing that this church is going to thousands of people in the days ahead, and uh, it really is. And we we are preparing infrastructure now for that in so many different ways, and we appreciate all of you in the midst of it. And I hope we're giving you good care in the midst of all that too. There's so many difficult things that I've talked to people beforehand uh, that people are going through. We just need to really support one another and love one another. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter three. And this week is, uh, it's the way we live. This is the series I'm talking about. Thessalonians were, uh, Thessalonica was a pretty large city for its time. As you heard, we, I repeat somewhat, every time I preach, just to get everyone on track. But two main Roman roads went through Thessalonica. It's right kind of at the top right, so that would be northeast corner of Greece up in that area. And it was a huge port, and uh, it was one-third Roman, one-third Greek, and one-third Jew. So you can imagine the, the mix, which is always good, and, and then has challenges, you know. You got three cultures there. You got three kinds of food there which this is a good part, actually. Three kinds of food, you know, and there's that dynamic. It's like a dynamic of moving and grinding. And Paul looked at that city and thought it would be a great gateway to Asia, Asia Minor. So he went in there and a church was birthed out of it and they kicked Paul out of town. And uh, so he wrote this letter to the Thessalonians to to, uh, speak to them and encourage them about how to live in the midst of difficulty. And so that's kind of been the theme as we've been going through. How do we, I've been using the term battle-hardened. I mean, you know what that means? I don't, I love that term because it's like invincible, strong, battle-hardened, ready for whatever. But we're also having, we're getting our heart softened. So it's battle-hardened, heart softened. It almost feels contradictory, you know. But it's true. It's what God's calling us to do. He's calling us to have that heart and to be growing in love in the midst of it. And it turns out in the end of three, Thessalonians three, beginning of four, it addresses this situation and then it dives deep really quick. And I want to just see what I can get in this in the next 12 or 13 minutes here. But 
Look at, look at chapter three, verse 11. This is a prayer that Paul is praying. I don't know if you know it or not, there's 17, uh, they believe. I mean, I, I counted them up and they, they confirmed it, but they qualify it in different ways. But there's 17 prayers, Pauline prayers, the Apostle Paul prayed 17 prayers in his various epistles that he wrote. And they're powerful. I love the Ephesian prayers. Man, they're so powerful. They're so uh, celestial, just powerful, transcending everything. You know, you, you feel like it's above our pay grade. You know, when you pray it, you feel like you're, you're, you're speaking through the words of others, which you are, in a very powerful way. And so here he starts praying after talking with them now for three chapters. At the end of chapter three, verse 11, it says, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. So his first part of his prayer is, I wanna come see you again. He loved them dearly. He explained that in the last chapter, but this is still on his heart and it's his way of being connected to the people and saying, I love you. I can't be there right now, but I'm on my way. 12, and may the Lord, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love. Now that's interesting to me because, because what it's saying is that we need the Lord's help to increase and abound in love. And if you're not praying for that, you may not be getting that. So he says, I'm praying that the Lord, you may increase and abound in love, which is agape love. And important to know that because I'm gonna talk about three loves here in just a minute. Agape love to one another and to all. So we learn, this is a, I've been saying this for 45 years. This is a workshop. This is a training place. That's why it's so, I don't know, out of sorts at times. I mean, have you ever been in a, a classroom where things were happening, you know? Like, a, you know, uh, when I was in high school, they actually had wood shop and they had metal shop and various things like that, you know? And it was a noisy place. And I'll never forget, I'll never forget metal shop, we, or wood shop, it was wood shop. We had a cranky old teacher who'd yell at everyone. He'd swear and curse. You were allowed to do that back then in school. Teachers just swearing and cursing at you, you know, and, and we were dealing with machinery and stuff. They were, and he, he had a number of fingers missing on his hand. And so, you know, you're like, hey, I'm, I, don't, I don't want that happening, you know? And so he would be yelling, you know, and you know, you're not, it's usually about safety issues, you know, kids goofing around, stuff like that. But it's just, you know, we're learning. We're learning and growing in, in this chaotic kind of environment. And I think about that sometimes with the church. I know the church is beautiful. It's the bride of Christ, all that, but it's also a workshop. We're under construction. We should have a big sign at the door, under construction. We are. And God is dealing with, we're being fashioned into the image of Christ. A lot of scripture, especially in the New Testament, is about imitation. Imitation is important in learning. You watch little children, you know, they kind of walk, try to walk like their dad, they act like their dad. I mean, it's just, it's the natural thing that happens in the human race. And in the spiritual realm, we become imitators of God. Paul says it in several places, imitate God. In one place he says, follow me as I follow Christ. So sometimes you can get someone in your life that's worthy of following, following. And it actually encourages you, if he can do it, then I can do it. If she can do it, then I can do it. And so you look at their living, and here's the deal. I gotta get this out really quick because I might miss it here in a minute, but I'm not talking about a one-time experience where you feel kind of 
the sensation of oil running down your body and like, oh, it's the Holy Spirit. And I'm, oh, that's so good. And I, I'm just going to enjoy this. I mean, you need to enjoy that, but you need to know it's there to empower you for something. And that, and that we, we are building, I, I don't want to use this word, but I'm going to use it anyway because I'll get criticism about it. No one talks about it anymore. The church should be developing character. They should. They shouldn't be characters. They should develop character. And the development of character is taking things in, making them your own, carrying on while you're doing that, not just standing and go, okay, I did it. Woo, I'm over here. See what I did. You know, you don't need to do that. We're still on a road here. You continue to grow and move in your walk with Christ because you're being conformed in the image of Christ. By the time, if you've been a believer your whole life, and I'm saying this with great fear in my heart, by the time you get in your 60s, 70s, and 80s, there should be a massive amount of character that's been developed in your life. And, and we have a lot of people that are like that, actually. And it's the goal. It's so fitting. I'm going to read you something in a minute. Damn, wait. So slow the time down, slow the time down. It, um, the first century when Jesus was born was such a key moment. I've, I've been, this, I've, I brought a book with me. It's my, it's probably my favorite history book and I've uh, had it about 20 years. I write all over it. I read all over the covers and everything, you know, and I got notes inside and it's, it's, it looks like my Bible really. And it's all about, it's called uh, The Spirit of Early Christian Thought by Wilkin. It's an excellent book. It's, it's, I recommend it to anyone. It will, it will shape, especially those of you who are going with us through the Bible in a year. Cindy's probably going to order some, but you can order it online. It's, it's an excellent book. But it really gives you the feel of what was going on in the first century. It was not an accident that Christ was born when he was born. The Greeks and the Romans particularly the Greeks. Romans just copied the Greeks. <laughs> the Greeks were way more creative, really. The Romans were builders, and they knew how to take Greek ideas and, and, and deploy them, implement them in some way. But at that time, the, great, the philosophers who were coming out, were, the, the whole thing was about life and what is this life about and living the life that means something. And there was a great argument going on in that time about happiness. What is happiness? How do you become happy? And they constructed these various ways of thought in order to get to happiness. And it almost always involved a pattern or, or, or actually uh, some of the Christian writers use it because it was their influence in their culture at the time. Don't be fooled. There's a lot of Greek and Roman stuff in here as well as Hebrew stuff. There really is. They were influenced. They were creatures of the moment that they were living in time. They were experiencing things. They were thinking about these things. And so Paul writes to these things as a philosopher himself and a Pharisee. He fashions an understanding of how to walk in Christ to grow to happiness. And actually, it's all over Scripture, particularly in the Beatitudes. How many of you know it's the Beatitudes, not the do attitudes? The be attitudes means the development of the soul. You may have to do to be. You do things, but if you just do things, it's not going to amount to anything. If you do things and it's built right, it will stand in the midst of the storm because you're building something inside. It's a construct of your soul. And we've got to go deeper and, and not, I mean, 
I gotta be careful what I say, but I mean, you can't be 20 years in the Lord and, and still battling the exact same things you were when you were 20 years old. You can't. I mean, I know we do, and you get flashbacks and stuff. But you, we've got to do better. And I'm not talking about a works thing. I'm talking about being energized by the Spirit of God to fulfill what He called us to do. And guess what? Guess what? One of the ultimate, now, no one else is going to say this around town right now, but I'm telling you, the ultimate goal of the Lord is that we be happy in Him. which means we're happy. I mean, think of the Beatitudes. Blessed, blessed, blessed. You hear that all the time? You know, that means happy. Just read through the Beatitudes. Go to, you know, go to Matthew 5 when you get a chance. Read through it and you'll see that Jesus really wanted to be, people to be happy, but then he lays out frameworks of what that looks like. Blessed are those who do Whatever. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Even persecution brings forth a fruitful blessing into your life. You can embrace all of life. You just take it all in. I'm getting better. I'm getting stronger. I'm growing in God. Well, you just had terrible loss in your life. I know it was horrible. But you know what? I'm happy in God. He's taking me through this thing. God will get you through it. Yes, there's appropriate times to mourn. There's appropriate times to even just stop and pause at something, a seal a moment, you know? But when you get on the other side of that, you're like, I'm taking that and I'm creating that. That's, that's that thing that was a weapon toward me. I'm weaponizing it against hopelessness, against unloving situations. I'm gonna bring the power of God because of what I walk through. Everything you walk through becomes something very valuable in your life. God wastes nothing. So he says, I pray that you would increase and abound in love, agape, in one another and to all, just as we do to you. Why? So that he may establish you. What? Love is important to establish you. You cannot move forward successfully without love, without agape love. And agape love is a love that actually covers. It is a love. I mean, it, it, is, a, it is an amazing love. It is an amazing. In fact, the agape in the Greek and Roman culture is not what it is in the Bible. They take the word agape. They did this with a couple words. They take the word agape and they bring it in and now they redefine it. The supreme agape love is the one that's a sacrificial love like God himself who sent his son, Jesus Christ. So what does that mean? It means when you want to retaliate, you don't. You, you sacrifice something in your heart to say, you know what? That would give me a moment of pleasure if I do that, but I'm taking that and I'm bringing it back in and I'm not going to do that. When you build habits like that, empowered by the Holy Spirit, you're going to create a life that is strong. And when difficulties come, you will still remain joyful in the midst of it. So what do we got to do? We got to pray for one another. We got to pray that you might abound in love because without love, you're just going to be a, a, a structured, well-structured, dead person. But with love, you can be a well-structured, abounding person your personality, everything gets affected by it. You touch people in very powerful ways just because you're in the room. That's the Spirit of God. This is verse 13. So that you may be established like a planting, your hearts blameless in holiness. Now this is interesting because this is a, this is a intertwining of, of love with holiness. It's gotta be a holy love. 
And, and I, I will talk about that in a minute or, or next week. But uh, there's two parts sanctification that's laid out here, and it's, it's abounding in love and blameless in holiness. That is, the, that is the ultimate goal in our happiness in God. You will be happy in God when you're abounding in love and you're blameless in holiness. You gotta walk in purity. You say, well, you know, you don't know where I am, my environment. When I, you gotta walk in, pure, in purity. Yeah, but I have tendencies to do this. You know, I was born this way. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm Irish. This is what I do. I'm, I'm Italian. This is what we do. You know, we have all these reasons why we do what we do. And yet, you know what? Everyone is born with propensities towards something. So when I hear about uh, uh, the entire gender confusion situation that's going on, people feeling like that they've, they're, they have same-sex attraction since they were born, I, I don't disbelieve that, actually. And I have compassion for it. I told Cindy the other day, my wife, I said, it would be really horrible to, to grow up feeling an attraction that is maybe mystical in the early days and later on may build into some kind of a sexual attraction towards someone of the same gender. I just think it's, it would be difficult. You know, culturally, it's difficult in your heart. It's, it's, it's just, it's a difficult thing. And so we have to have compassion toward that and understand that that's true. But you know, there's also people that are born that have attraction toward the opposite sex in a sexual way outside of a marital bond. That is devastating too. We are all born in sin. Every one of you. There's not a lot of amens now, but it's true. We're all born in sin. And so we can argue over these things. Well, I've, I've had this since I was born or since I was a little kid. I, I, I know, I got stuff too. And we're working on it. Why are you laughing at that? I got stuff too. And you, you're, you're working out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's scripture. So... Paul's addressing it, and he lays it out. He says, this prayer is purposeful. You can pray for one another. I pray for Bethel Cleveland that love would abound in this church, so much so that holiness begins to be brought forth in this church. That is the fruit of love. You love, and you become blameless in holiness. So we pray that, right? We said, Jesus, touch this church. Just like, I believe what he did this morning, he was cleansing, I saw it. It was like, the, like a washing coming through this room and there was things that were being removed, those hooks that are in hearts, things are being removed out of this room, particularly of a sexual nature today that I believe there's a lot of deliverance from that and you will feel it this week. Now here's what you're gonna feel. If you've been bound to that in some way, you're gonna get tempted during this week. And when you do, you can make the choice to go back to where you were. But let me tell you, the, James really lays this out very well. I, I, uh, let me see if I can pull it up real quick. I, I love, here we are, James. Uh, he, he defines this whole process of, of sanctification, how it happens, but how the, the veering off of sanctification happens. Each one, James 1.14 says this, each one is tempted when he's drawn away. So you, you see something, or something that someone says, something you want to do, you're tempted, whatever it might be. And the number one temptation, the number one sin, I don't think because it's, I don't think it's the greatest sin, I just think it's, it's widespread. The number one sin that is, that is defined in Scripture over and over, usually shows up as number one, 
it always has to do with sexuality. It has to do with either adultery, fornication. In fact, four of the 17 works of the flesh in Galatians 5. So remember, there's the fruit of the Spirit. I love that passage of Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace. You got all the fruit of the Spirit. And then it says, and then the works of the flesh. There's nine fruit of the Spirit, 17 works of the flesh. The top four are all sexual. So one-fourth of the works of the flesh are things to do with the inability to build boundaries in our lives around eros, love. Now, there's seven types of love in the Greek understanding. The Bible refers to three of them. Agape, phileo, filio, which is like a friendship kind of a love. Uh, and then there's eros. Eros is a love, attraction, sexual attraction, that kind of a thing. And uh, it's interesting because uh, the eros love creates boundaries. There's boundaries all throughout the New Testament on eros love, Old Testament too. That scripturally, a marriage is defined. Now, see, countries can define things any way they want. It's, it's what they do. Why, why do we get upset at people that do the things that, that are wrong or incorrect according to scripture? They do not know yet. Or they know when they're not following it. We are here to do what God's called us to do. We are here to live a life and love on people with the hope that these things will shift in culture over time. And in America, we got the unique opportunity to vote. And so you do vote for certain things. But even when voting doesn't go your way, we have a secret weapon. It's prayer. I mean, you just get two old ladies praying and you can change a whole city, man. I'm telling you, it's, it's amazing what God will do. So let's read on here real quick. So, so it says here, uh, it says, where was I? Blameless in holiness before our God and Father and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and all his saints. And then ver chapter four, verse one. So now we go to a new chapter. Forget the chapter. It doesn't mean it's a new topic. They, they put these numbers in there after all this was written. So this is a continuation Paul says, finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more. In what? Well, love was already, he already prayed that they would abound more and more, so love's included in that. But he's also saying to abound in holiness. This movement that God is, you know, we always, I mean, you, you, we sing, let it rain, let it rain, open the window. I mean, we love, come on, come down, make my horrible life sweet, Lord. You know, I mean, that's what we're praying. But the, but the bottom line is, it's, going, it's meant to transform the soul. God's just not going to come for a happy, clappy group of people. They're like, I need another touch. I need, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Treat, treat, treat. You know, <laughs> treat. No, you can't get a treat. All right, now you need to eat regular dog food. <laughs> treat, treat. Do I smell a treat? That's how Christians act. That's how I act. So the Lord goes, no treats. Get into the Word of God. Eat the Word. Consume the Word. It's going to transform you. Do stuff. It's called spiritual exercise. Open your mouth. I mean, you grow in love. You'll grow in compassion. It's an amazing thing. Sanctification. I got to go on. Chapter 4, verse 1. Finally, brethren, we urge you and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more just as you receive from us how you ought to walk. What? That's in scripture. You don't tell me what to do. 
Oh, no, he, God does. And he speaks through people to tell you what to do. And you can rebel at that your whole life. I did what I wanted to do. I did it my Well, I don't know how successful that's going to be in the eyes of God. We are doulas. We are slaves to Christ. We are called to make sin our, uh, make sin our servant, our slave. We are to master sin. So it says, just so you received how we ought to walk and to please God. By the way, this shows up numerous times in the New Testament. I'm out of time, but we'll get to this. Please God. The pleasure of God is one of our joys. It's not so that we get a better seat in heaven or something like that. Everyone's going to have a front row seat. I don't know how it's going to work, but it's, it's going to work that way. Please God. We love the God to get the pleasure of God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Chapter, or verse two, for you know what commandments we gave you. Paul gave commandments? This sounds like a very dictatorial leader. I mean, tyrannical kind of a thing, telling them, walk this way. Uh, do the commandments we gave you. And in verse three, he goes farther. He says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. So your holy process of becoming like Jesus Christ is sanctification. Look at this, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. What a, what a point here to have to go fast. When I really want to unpack this, I may get to it a little bit. Uh, maybe next week, I'll see. Um, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. You should abstain from sexual immorality that each of you should know how to possess. Listen to this very closely. This is scripture. That each of you should know how to possess his own vessel. Vessel is euphemistic for, it's a picture of your physical body. Your body is the temple of the Lord. The Bible says that we have earthen vessels. So your vessel in sanctification so wait a minute, who, whose job is this? You should know how, you should know how, I should know how to possess my own vessel in sanctification and honor. There's work to do. This isn't floating down the stream. We're paddling against the current. We're going upstream. You don't stop when you, I, I do kayaking, you know. And there's this little chute, we go out in the mangroves of Florida, you know. And when the tide's out, because of the way the land is in the mangroves, it creates this almost like funnel kind of a, uh, it's, like a it's like a waterfall kind of a thing. And, and you get up to it and it's like, whoo, I mean, it shoots you through this thing. It's pretty cool. You get over there on the other side, but you forget that you have to go back that way. <laughs> so you either wait 12 hours till the tide shifts or you, you go back. And Cindy, we laugh hysterically. Because she goes, you go first, you know. <laughs> so, and so I go, and it's pretty easy to get up to the edge of it. But once you hit those rapids, you're like, you're, <laughs> I mean, you're paddling. I'm sorry, it's paddling. I'm paddling. <laughs> I mean, you're doing it, you're doing it, and you're not going anywhere. <laughs> and you know what happens? If you're not in top shape like me, <laughs> you stop. And you go, <laughs> it throws you out, spits you out like a cannon, you know. 
So you kind of get up your nerve, you eat a little peanut butter sandwich, you know, you get up there and you go, all right, I'm going to do it this time. And Cindy just sits there and laughs, you know, as I, as I do it. And, and I have done it at, at times, you know, and, and it's been a great thing. But the point is, is that that's the life of Christ. We're going against something. And it says here, it says that that's the way we're to live. Verse five, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God that no one should take advantage or defraud a brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger of such as he also forewarned us and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanliness, but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this, get this, woo, this stops all emails this week. <laughs> Whoever rejects this, rejects, does not reject man, so don't email me. But God, God at gmail.com, <laughs> who has also given us his Holy Spirit. Okay. This is the equation. Love increase and abound equals establishment in holiness. It's pretty easy. Love and holiness. One another and all, Holy Spirit prepared for eternity. So, that, that sanctification, the, the ancient uh, church leaders and philosophers saw this sanctification as the number one work in our lives. That we abide in him and his words abide in us and he begins to shape us and change us in all ways. It's a, it's a, it's a map, like I'm a big map guy. It's a, I wrote a book on it. It's a, it's a map to pleasing God. You separate yourself you know, you know what? When, when fornication is in your life, which basically is having sex with somebody outside of marriage, when you do that as a single person, you are selling off your sexual purity. <laughs> Second Corinthians. Yeah, I'm not gonna read that. All right. Just a few more thoughts. Text, text up north, Ashley, and tell them I'm running late, really late, that we ran really late. It's their fault, not my fault. Okay. <laughs> Eros, sexual love. Eros is not clearly used, the word itself, in the New Testament. It's inferred. But it's understood, people in the culture understood what was being talked about. And honestly, they, they kind of minimized it from the writings I've read because they were uncomfortable talking about it in the Christian context because they felt that it took the light off of Christ and on physical pleasure. And so, you know, they've clarified that. Paul wrote a lot, Corinthians and other places about it. But here's some, a couple things to think about. New Testament only allows sex within boundaries of marriage between a man and a woman. So, Laws will be passed. People do different things in different countries. I go to countries where there's, there's all kinds of things going on. Um, it's, it's, what, it's what cultures do. Why, why do we complain about people for doing what they do? I mean, God's the judge. We're supposed to judge the church. God's gonna judge the world. So when you explore sex outside of boundaries, living with somebody, whatever that might mean, 
You're selling your purity, rejecting God, according to Scripture. I'm just telling you, didn't come from Steve Witt, although I do endorse that. You're selling your purity, and you're rejecting God. Eros love has boundary, is meant for one person of the opposite sex in the confines of a marriage vow. Homosexuality involves illegitimate sexual love. I understand. I mean, I, I know people that they're homosexuals and they, they feel the, the urge, they feel the draw to that person and relationship and everything else. I, I got to say, 30 years ago, I'm not sure I understood that. I understand that now. I, I understand that that happens. I understand it is real. But just like any other sex outside of the boundaries of what God said, it's illegitimate to the purpose of God. Do we need to condemn them because they're doing that? I don't think so. I want the Holy Spirit to talk to them about that, but I can take a stand and say, look, this is what we believe. We're here to influence, we're here to change. We're here to say, you know what? It's, it's not in the purposes of God. Well, where is that? It's in scripture. We don't believe in the Bible. Well, there you go. I have nowhere else to go. If you don't believe that, I, I, you know, I don't know what to tell you. I'll pray that God visits you and you can get some understanding in it. That's all I can hope. But for those of us who are believers, this book was written to believers because they're having problems. So to believers, it is not proper. And when you engage in, in some, whatever your excuse is, whatever, whatever thing you do, and trust me, I'm really good at spinning things. You know, I can... I can make anything, I, I can sell you about anything. I'm just that kind of person. You know, I, can, I can see the good, even though it's a micro good way down inside in the midst of a real ugly situation. You know, we, we can spin things. We can say, well, you know, it's my, I can't pay my rent, so this guy moved in with me. Or they, I hear these things a lot, you know, and I think, you're in dangerous territory. You're in dangerous territory. The Bible says avoid the very, possibility or presence of evil. So as we read scripture, Ashley and I talk about it all the time. When you read scripture, you realize this is addressed in scripture all the time. So desiring eros or sex with others, a love expressed through sexual connection without marriage is lust. Marriage is sacred. Thank God the Catholic Church calls it a, a uh, uh, a key part, a, one of the seven, oh shoot, the term just slipped my mind. What is, there you go, I got a few Catholics. There are the sacraments, yeah. I knew it had something to do with California. Sacramento, sacraments. <clears throat> yeah. Marriage is a sacrament. It's sacred. The Bible says you have to possess your own vessel in sanctification and honor. Pornography is lust being outside the boundaries. Even in a marriage, pornography is wrong. I've heard couples say, well, you know, it's, you know we're married. It's like, yeah, but uh, the, the point was is that in marriage that the two of you would be drawn to one another and not have to have uh, outside influence to be able to have an effective relationship. And so when you bring that in, likely... It's involving other people and there's lust that's going on in order to, it's very distorted. Lusting after something that's outside of our marriage so that we can have a better marriage. 
Do what you want, but I would not recommend it. All these things had the seeds of death in it. The wages of sin is death, even for Christians. Now, you may go to heaven as one who escapes the fire. I don't know. I'm not the judge of that. Well, what are you risking in the midst of that? God calls us to walk in holiness and purity and in love with one another. Philos Phyllis is a warm, affectionate friendship, and we all know that, so because of my time, I won't get into it. But the agape love covers it all. And the eros love that's in the midst of the agape has boundaries in it for every believer. You know, there's, there's pop, let's all stand together if we could. There's a popular saying out now, love is love, you know. Love has been so distorted in our culture. I wish we had a, a, a number of words for love like the Greeks did. But what I see, the love they're talking about is more um, sexually driven as opposed to the love that serves and sacrifices. A marriage, a good marriage, is a marriage where there's mutual sacrificing. I lay down my life for you. You do that, you're one-upping one another all the time. I love you more. I love you most. I love you the best. I love you better. <laughs> I mean, it's just, that's a good marriage. And I have that some weeks. <laughs> I want to pray for you. I, I really, this is something that's, it's been in my heart. I, I, uh, I just want to encourage you that you have the strength to overcome these things by the power of the Holy Spirit. In your own self, I don't know if you can do it. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, you cannot, you will not cross these boundaries. The grace of God, read Philippians 2 when you get home today. The energy of God, the Father, is all you need to change your will and to change your actions. That's it. It's easier than you think. When you feel that pull, it's strong. I just couldn't help it. I don't know, I was so drawn into this. That's when you cry out for help, the helper, the Holy Spirit. Help! Holy Spirit, get me out of this. And the Holy Spirit's right there because he dwells within you. And you will walk. You can walk. I can walk in purity by the grace of God. I can, and you can too. And you can grow and become sanctified and strong in the spirit. You can, by the power of the spirit. And we're gonna see that. I want, you know, I want, to, I want us to be known as a loving church, but also want to be known as a, as a holy church that is not holier than thou. We're not religious. We just love Jesus and he's holy. And he said, be holy as I am holy. Wow. He wouldn't give us something that was impossible. That'd be very aggravating. He's only giving us something that by his spirit you can accomplish. Repent from immoral sins. Break them off right now. Go back to where God has called you. As a single person, stay faithful before God. Trust him. We see more people married in this church. It's great. Once they make that decision, set themselves apart to God, the person of their dream shows up. It's amazing. It really is. You say, well, it's not yet. I've been here five years. I've been here. Well, well, do the work. Do the work. Do the work. 
Because when you do the work, you become, you know what a little side benefit is? You, you become more beautiful. When you do the inner work, you're going to stun a guy or a woman that comes by. They're going to be like, something about that person, they're just like a purity on them or something. Wow. And I don't know what you do from there. I'm, I'm 67, so. Uh, I don't know if you text them or chat with them. I, I don't know. Someone younger will come up and give that advice. But I do know this. When you find someone like that, you pursue them without haunting them. If they're giving you strange looks, back off. Don't stalk them. Don't follow them to the grocery store and happenstance you found them there. It's not pure. Trust God. He's going to work it out. Hey, Jay, come, come do something with that. Thank you for listening to our Sermon of the Week. You can help us reach others by investing today at BethelCleveland.com slash give.